today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Hebrew language, his zeal, all of those things. They all were in the credit column. He takes it and he puts it all in the debit column. Why? Because all of those things hindered him in his relationship with God. All of those things kept him back from relating to God in the way he should. And so he said, I, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives so we can be our heads and feet. The Apostle Paul had quite an impressive resume before he met Jesus. Paul came from the right Jewish background, received the right education, and had enough religious zeal to drive him to persecute Christians. However, Once Paul met the Lord, he considered all of his earthly accomplishments nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. In today's message, Pastor Ed teaches us that earthly accolades and religious piety do not earn us a personal relationship with God. Only the blood of Jesus has the power to unite us in fellowship with God. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message, Rejoicing in the Lord. day, from the beginning to the end, our one basis of standing before God is what Jesus did on the cross. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't do good works, but those good works do not qualify us to enter God's heaven. Now, our good works do follow us, and the Bible tells us we'll be judged by our faithfulness, But we should never, ever, and it's easy to mix it up, where we begin to think, Lord, look what I've done. Now, Paul had to give up to gain. He had to give up to gain. And he had to give up self-righteousness. In verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to read the end part of 3, and who put no confidence in the flesh... Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, the way Paul goes about arguing at this moment, it sounds like he's arguing to perhaps converts to Judaism who converted to Christianity. Or perhaps Gentiles who had converted to Christianity and then embraced Judaism, and now we're infiltrating the church at uh, Philippi. The reason I say that is because as Paul argues, he begins arguing his heritage. He says, I have more reason to be confident than they do. Watch him as he talks about his natural advantages, the advantages that birth gave him. In verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. That was in its strict observance to Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. What he was saying was his parents followed Old Testament law. They were Jewish, and they circumcised him on the eighth day. Paul was saying he is an insider. He wasn't somebody who was converted into Judaism 
but he was Jewish way back in all, throughout his heritage, and his parents strictly followed the law. He was no late-life convert. And then he says, the people of Israel. That's another way of saying that he was pure Jewish. He was a pure Israelite. Uh, we might say that person's a blue blood. Well, he could trace his ancestry back one generation after another after another. Uh, he was no proselyte from paganism. He was really an insider from birth. Uh, then the people of Israel. Look at the term, the people of Israel in the text. What he's again saying, he was pure. Then the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only one of Jacob's sons that was born in the promised land. When Solomon died and the kingdom of Israel split between the southern and the northern part, Benjamin remained faithful to the house of David and was included in the lot of land. Uh, The very first king came from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, and, and Paul's was named after Saul. So he looked at his spiritual lineage and said, I am a Benjamite. And then he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What that is saying is, even though he was born outside of Jerusalem, he never lost the mother tongue. He could speak Hebrew, read Hebrew, and pray Hebrew. He knew Aramaic and he knew Greek. He knew the various languages, but he was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. Now, all of these things were things that were given to him by birth. And so he's going to add to that list his accomplishments. He says, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. There were about 6,000 Pharisees, Josephus tells us, at the time of Christ. They were lay people who studied the word. They were the most respected group of people in the nation. And he made a choice to be a Pharisee. That meant separated ones. He separated himself to follow the Old Testament, to follow the law of God. And it it goes beyond that. As he looks at these personal achievements, it says that as for zeal, persecuting the church. He was zealous. He wanted to stamp out any heresy, anything that in any way would distort the truth of Scripture. He was zealous. And then he says, righteous and blameless. He said, for legalistic righteous, righteousness, faultless. What he's saying there is the Old Testament took the Ten Commandments and these Pharisees made 613 laws out of the Ten Commandments. Paul was faultless. He observed them to a T. He crossed his T's. He dotted his I's. He did everything. You know, Paul had reason to think, I've done it. He was, I mean, super religious. He was a high achiever. Our children learn from childhood that they need to be achievers. They're taught that. You know, you could be in the early grades and you learn if you get the best marks, you'll be the teacher's favorite. If you're first in the race, you'll be picked on the sports team. If you're the most athletic, and and we grow up with this idea of success 
means praise and favor and honor. And we transfer that into the spiritual realm. And there in the spiritual realm, we think, if I could work harder than so-and-so, and if I could give more and be more faithful than so-and-so, I'm going to have favor with God. Well, that's not how the kingdom works. I remember as a, as a young person growing up in the Catholic Church and witnessing to someone who was sharing the gospel with me on Nostrand Avenue. I was waiting for a bus. They came up and shared a gospel track, and they began to tell me, and they said, oh, no, I said, I'm a good Catholic. What I had done is I had gone to communion. I had taken my confirmation. I went to confession regularly. And even when I didn't know I did anything wrong, I would make up sins because I figured I must do something wrong. And so I'd estimate. Ah, I went to Catholic school. I studied the catechism. And they even made me a patrol guard, you know, so I was watching the streets. So I felt, listen, I've done this thing here. The danger is I began to trust and believe that I did certain things and that would give me favor with God as a Catholic. And, you know, especially, and I'm not trying to put down any particular church, but there were so many things, at least for me, that distracted me and turned my eyes off of Jesus onto other things. And you, and you miss the truth of the gospel that's there and I didn't know the Lord. But you know, the same thing can happen in the assemblies of God. Here in our church, roll back the decades, go into the 70s. And in our youth group, one of the young people stood up and gave a testimony that shocked some of the young people that were attending. One of the young people that was attending was newly saved. And he looked with admiration on this one particular young man. His father was a deacon, and his mother was involved in church, and this young man was involved in church, and they were faithful. In fact, one time when they had a terrible snowstorm, they were one of the few families that came out, and they had picked this young man up who was recently saved, and he was amazed at this family, and he was amazed at his friend, because they were there when no one else was at the church, and Pastor Damian has said, listen, we're not going to have service today. There's been a terrible snowstorm, and so we're not having service. But this young man was on the very first Bible quiz team that they had, and he had memorized the scriptures, and he knew the word of God well, and he was involved as involved could be. But one youth meeting, he stood up and gave a testimony. He said, you know, I've come to discover Abba Father. I never saw God as Abba. I always saw him as a taskmaster or someone who required these things of me. And he said, I've just gotten saved. And wow, it's wonderful. It's possible. I know that shocks you. But it's possible to go and grow up in church and trust in your good works your church attendance, your giving, your Bible reading, and all of those things are good things to do. But you begin to base your relationship with God on the standing of those things rather than the cross 
I often go back to John Wesley, one of my favorite characters in, or men in church history. John Wesley came from a Christian home, and I mean a Christian home. His father was a minister, and his grandfather was a minister in the Anglican church, and his great-grandfather was a minister in the Anglican church. And on his mother's side, her father, and I believe her grandfather, were ministers, and they were dissenters. In other words, they weren't with the Anglican church. They were more outside the church, but yet they were ministers. John Wesley went to Oxford and started the Holy Club because he wanted people to read the Bible and pray and live a holy life. And then he came to America, to Georgia, to work with the Indians, to convert them. And he was unsuccessful with that. And going back across the Atlantic to England, they came into a terrible storm. And some people had an uncanny sense of peace when everybody was in fear of losing their life. And, and Wesley was afraid. And he began to talk to these Christians who were called Moravian Brethren. And they began to share with him about the new birth. And at that moment, Wesley began to realize that something was missing in his life. And when he got back to England, he went to a church where they were reading the preface to a commentary on the book of Romans at Aldersgate. And he realized that it's faith in Christ, not his heritage, not his prayers. And in his own diary, he talks about being converted at that moment. Today, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people gathered together worshiping God on a Sunday morning. And some of them are preaching in pulpits, singing in choirs, sitting in pews, but they don't know Jesus. It takes a personal relationship with God. Faith in him. You have a constant danger that you're going to have to battle with from here to the grave. That battle is trusting in your good works, trusting in your church attendance, trusting in things that you do and things that you haven't done. Paul was very concerned that you had to give up to gain. Are there things that you're trusting in, in terms of your relationship with God? Well, Paul talks about the change that transpired in him. We'll look at the biblical text. And as we look at the biblical text, we see how he gains Christ's righteousness. How he gains the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to skip the one verse of text. I'll make reference to it. In Matthew 5:48 it says you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If we were trying to win acceptance in God's sight, we could never do it because no one could live a perfect life. Imagine with me just for a moment, just for a moment, that you buy your children a monopoly game. And they start playing and they're winners. And they have the $1,000 bills and the $10,000 bills and the 100000 bills. And, and they decide they want to get you a Christmas present for Christmas. And they go down to the local car dealership and they say, this new car only costs $40,000. Here's $40,000. 
And the dealership looks at them and says, this is not real money. This is monopoly money. No, no, no. Here's the money I want to give you. I want it fair and square. No, we don't use that currency. That's the same way with our righteousness. It's not used in heaven. The only currency is the righteousness of Christ. That's the only currency that heaven uses. If we come with our merits, our good works, our deeds, and say, God, you have to accept me now on the basis of my righteousness, it's like a child playing with a Monopoly game and taking that currency and say, I want to buy this. It's not accepted. It's not real currency. The only thing that counts is what Jesus did on Calvary. And when we go to the Father and say, he paid it all, then it's accepted. Gaining Christ's righteousness. And I'm going to quickly go through this point. One, renouncing the old dependence. Notice this. For whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. I mean, what he had to do is all of these things, his Years as a Pharisee, his uh, training in keeping the law in its minute detail, those 613 rules that they sort of gathered out of the Ten Commandments, his speaking the Hebrew language, his zeal, all of those things, they all were in the credit column. He takes it and he puts it all in the debit column. Why? Because all of those things hindered him in his relationship with God. All of those things kept him back from relating to God in the way he should. And so he said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I think about the incredible change that took place. When did this change take place? It took place on the Damascus Road. When he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And the Lord came and changed him. And he realized that he had been fighting against God. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And he never stopped asking that question all through his life. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Lord, what will you have me to do? That's what we should do when we make him Savior and Lord. And Paul said, I don't look at those things the way I used to look at them. Watch and listen to his words as he embraces a new dependence. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the first time he uses this term, and I believe the only time he uses it. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for whose sake I've lost all things. I think Paul was referring to a number of things when he says all things. When he accepted Christ, all those friends he had as he went through the school of Gamaliel, he lost them. All the inheritance that would have been his passed down from one generation to another generation to another generation, he lost. They never invited him back to speak as an alumnus at the school of Gamaliel. He was never honored as one of the class successes, he was rejected. 
He lost his standing within the community. He lost his relationship to his family. He, he lost. And there are people who when they come to Jesus Christ experience that type of loss. Perhaps in Paul's family, they sat and shiver. They had a funeral service. They counted him as dead because he followed Christ. Sometimes following Christ will cost you friends, relationships. But he said, I've gained Christ. And that's what's most important. He says, for whose sake I've lost all things. Now I consider when he's thinking about his accomplishments and he's thinking about all the things, I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Uh, It's stronger in the Greek. It's very difficult to translate. One commentator uses the term dung, rubbish, refuge. He looks and he says, not that those things weren't good things, but in comparison to having Christ, in comparison to knowing him, they're just rubbish. They're nothing. He was willing and more than willing to give them up. He says that I might gain Christ. Verse 11 in the Bible text is so powerful, and I want to close with that. And so, somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is picturing here is a day of judgment. When he stands before Almighty God, and God says to him, Why should I accept you? If you read the text and what he's saying, I don't want to stand in my own righteousness, he's saying, and somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And if you look, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I don't want my own righteousness when I stand before God. I want his righteousness. The great temptation with time in the church is to begin to trust in the offering statements we've given over the years or the attendance records we have or the things that we have done. It's a temptation for you, for me. And we have to constantly go back to the one thing that brought us into the kingdom, the one thing that made us acceptable to the Father, the blood of Jesus Christ, his cross, his salvation. That's the only means of salvation. No other way. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And so for you and I, there has to be this attitude of coming with utter dependence on the righteousness of Christ As I bring the message now to a close, I ask you, will you come back to the fundamentals, to the ABCs, to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ? God accepts you not on the basis of what you've done or what you haven't done, but on the basis of what he has done. He paid it all. He did it all. You've got to give up your own righteousness to gain his righteousness. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't do good works because you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But it is to say, don't trust in them. Don't mistake your good works 
as the basis on which God accepts you. It's simply the blood of Christ. We're so glad you joined us again today for Building in Faith Radio. Dr. Ed Jones has been working through the book of Philippians where we're finding encouragement in the hard times as well as practical guidance for living as we seek to follow Christ. If you're looking for more encouragement along your way, look online at buildinginfaithradio.com where you can find additional messages from Pastor Ed as well as information on the church behind the ministry of Building in Faith. Faith Assembly is located in Poughkeepsie, New York, and we'd love to see you at one of our weekly services. We gather together Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., to worship together and learn more about walking with Christ. If you're searching for a place to learn more of the Word, there's also a Bible study Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Call us anytime for more information at 845-462-5955. Again, that number is 845-462-5955. Or visit buildinginfaithradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Faith AG2. We'd love to take time to pray for your prayer requests or answer your questions, so join the conversation. Regardless of where you are, we encourage you to find a church home and a body of believers you can grow with. We've been so glad to have this time with you today. Pastor Ed will continue teaching through the book of Philippians, so be sure to come back for the next edition of Building in Faith Radio. Your word